Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Brian Evans, who is the CEO and founder of BD Ventures, which is founded, advised and consulted for a wide array of companies in the gaming, NFT, blockchain and AI sectors, including uh, Club ID, Mochaverse and Candy Crush. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, Rohit. How's it going? Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to glad, glad to be here. Awesome. So, you know, um, uh, b- before the call, uh, you know, I talked about, about a huge falling that you're on you know, social media. You've been in the uh, in the ecosystem for quite a long time, but what got you, you know, interested in this crazy world of crypto and Bitcoin, especially? Yeah, I mean, I think it was all a, you know, it was a long time coming. I was always into, you know, social media um, and got into sort of the influence influencer kind of space for a while. Had a had a marketing agency um, that was on the Inc. 500. Worked with a lot of celebrities and and major uh, brands on doing PR and marketing. And I just got really bored with the space. I, you know, I, I always loved building a following and helping people grow like online presences and things like that. But, you know, after some point we got the agency to quite a big number of clients and it just, I started to realize it just, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to manage hundreds of people. It just wasn't my calling. And I, I basically exited the agency um, and I was, I was literally just having a lunch with somebody and, you know, just open-minded, um, of what I should get into next. And the very first meeting I had, um, the guy said to me, you know, you should, you should get into this thing called Ethereum. Um, and I hadn't heard of it at the time. Ethereum is the second biggest crypto under Bitcoin. And, um, at the time it was brand new. It just, just launched and I started to look into it and I got really interested in it from a, for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, in the web two kind of traditional social media world, it's very hard to invest in things you have to, especially early stage, you know, when it's, when it's on the stock market, no problem, right? Anyone can do that. But to get into these early stage ventures and invest, which is something I always want to do, I found it very difficult. I, I, you know, it was confusing. You, you would get in way late and you're, you're buying at a huge markup. And, um, if you could even get access to it at all, you need some kind of insider track or insider access, um, as I started to learn about crypto, I realized, wait, this is decentralized out on the internet. You know, anyone can just do it. Um, I, I was, I was very fascinated by that. It, to me, it was going to change the sort of financial world and it, and it has in many ways. Um, and then from there went down the rabbit hole into all other areas and aspects of blockchain and, and crypto. Um, but yeah, just kind of stumbled into it. And from, from a, from a perspective of, financial uh, democratization of of venture capital, finance, privacy, it was very interesting to me. Um, And then I realized there was these very, you know, and I I hadn't seen anything like this, except when social media started to become a big thing and the internet itself and the, you know, the, the smartphone movements, not a lot of other times in history in the last 30, 40 years, have you seen something that had such a kind of cult like staunch really avid following of people that were so die hard about this and i and i've realized over a period of time ai is kind of like that now for instance it's starting to starting to be like that i realized over over a long period of time that when these things happen you know it's it's once that snowball effect gets going um it's something to to watch for sure so i, I was very interested in it started doing a lot of investments 
really paid a lot of attention to the space. Um, and then I realized a lot of people that, that were kind of in the social media world were also getting into crypto. And, um, you know, but on top of that, there was just a lot of great developers and just a lot of innovation happening. A lot of, you know, really smart people were getting into this space. Um, and I and I always, when I see really, really smart people, really smart developers giving up everything in another industry and coming over to something like blockchain, I, I know that that's relevant and something to pay attention to. So as I got deeper in this ecosystem, I just found myself surrounded by really smart people um, that were building really innovative products and technology. Um, and yeah, just uh, been in that space ever since. Um, and it was a big change for me coming from <clears throat> social media and uh, marketing agencies. But a lot of it was relevant because, you know, a lot of these crypto projects, um, they'll have really smart tech people, but tend to struggle with things like marketing because um, they're very different skills. So yeah, been been very um the last really the last 10 years have been in this space. Um, but it's gotten more exciting in the recent most recent years. There's been some new innovations and um even more kind of global awareness of crypto. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I, I think um 2023 was was a little rough year for, for crypto uh starters, yeah. but where do you see you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh assets and prices going from here now? Yeah, we had some, you know, black swan events last year. We had a big exchange called FTX kind of crash and, you know, uh, had some had some bad actors behind it. Um, but that's really just the standard, you know, Bernie Madoff problem, right? Just a bad actor getting into any industry and, and causing a ruckus. Um, but there, this year, we have some positive things happening in crypto. There's something called the Bitcoin halving that's coming up um, in a yeah. few months, which is just a basically... In layman's terms, um, the amount of rewards from Bitcoin um, is reduced, so there's less supply shock on the market. So the price tends to go up after this having event. So it's a very bullish kind of narrative and event that's happening. We just had Bitcoin ETFs approved um, and enlisted. So that means basically people have more access to buy Bitcoin and soon to be probably other cryptos in the traditional financial world um, where they don't have to deal with you know self-custody and um, you know, confusing exchanges to buy on, which is, it's great. It's good to have access to those things. Um, you know, it's kind of contrary to the crypto ethos of, if you want to, you know, control your own coin, so to speak, and, um, manage it yourself and not have to deal with centralized entities, but this, it is good in a way. Cause just like when gold had an ETF, um, you know, over the 10 years after the ETF, it just consistently went up basically. So people theorize that that might happen with Bitcoin and other cryptos over the next 10 years. Well, we'll just see a consistent climb up um, where, you know, Bitcoin bec could become sort of the, the digital gold of the world. Um, and then, yeah, we've had a lot of other innovations in the space um, in the last few years. NFTs, for instance, were, were very, were and are very popular um, in industries like gaming and real world assets, dig digitizing real world assets and then things like identity, um, where you can store all of that on chain via an NFT. Um, so there's all sorts of innovations happening and uh, stable coins are another just massively valuable, amazing use case. I still have this problem to this day. Um, it wasn't long ago that I was trying to send money to um, Singapore and yeah. I go to my bank and I say, I want to wire, wasn't even a huge amount. It was like $12,000, pretty decent amount, but not crazy. Um, and they said, well, sorry, something's been flagged. And I'm like, why? Here's the, it's a lawyer. Here's an invoice. It's, it's nothing crazy. It's, you know, 
um, very standard, big name company sending it to you. Do you know this person? Do you know this company? Are you sure this is the right, you know, questioning me about how to send my own money? And it just was another reminder that the traditional financial world is, you, you know, it's like, it's really not your money. It's like, it's in the bank's hands and you better hope they don't lose it. And, and uh, you got to ask their permission and get their sign off to do it, to send your money. Um, and, it, and it was frustrating. Um, whereas with crypto and stable coins, I can send you money right now. I don't ask anybody. You send me your wallet address, how much you want, boom, done. You have it in, in 12 seconds, maybe faster, uh, maybe two seconds. Um, no one can stop us. Um, you know, so in in this remittance kind of category is is huge. There's a, there's so many people globally in many, many countries that don't have access to traditional banking or it's too costly, whereas something like a crypto wallet, like you just need any digital device, anything. You can have the oldest phone imaginable or just any computer with an internet connection. Doesn't even matter. Uh, you can even do it offline, but um, you just need to connect for a second to send it. Um, and you've got a bank basically where you can send money around and do whatever you want with it. So I think, you know, there's a lot of great reasons to have crypto and of course governments don't want it. Right. So you're always going to get that resistance from the, from governments that, that say, no, no, the U S dollar should be the main currency of the world. And it's great. That's, that's convenient for the U S and, and maybe other parts of the world. Um, but I think people are slowly starting to realize, you know, you're seeing, Groups like BlackRock, who for the longest time were the biggest bulls and proponents of the traditional financial world that are turning around saying, well, wait a second, there's something here with this Bitcoin stuff. You know, it's not something we should sleep on. And they're they're launching these ETF products, getting behind it, saying it's the new digital gold. You know, they're not just doing this lightly. They're obviously, these are big players and very smart people realizing that there's something to this. Um so, you know, it's uh, unfortunately crypto is, is is a volatile space, both in the media and in the price, you know, volatility for price volatility. So it's up and down sometimes. Um, and when it's down, people kind of freak out and, you know, we see bad news come out because that's just the that's just the psychology of it. Um, but long term, it's a really great um, set of technology and a lot of a lot of sub sub technology of the blockchain space like nfts for instance are really interesting um and uh yeah industries like gaming for example can can really benefit from this yeah no absolutely i think uh, you made an interesting point about ftx uh, you know what's what's the biggest misconception about about ftx and and who do you think should be held accountable and you know how how do yeah. we make sure that you know it doesn't happen happen again well, this was basically, you know, if you think of the Bernie Madoff era of, you know, Ponzi schemes and scams and frauds where they were basically issuing fake statements um, under his firm and uh, stealing people's money. This was a little bit different, but it wasn't too far off. Right. So basically what was proven was that they were mingling funds. It was a centralized exchange. Right. So this is not. In the crypto world, you have two parts. You have centralized and decentralized. Centralized is just like the traditional finance world. You know, you have a human being that controls things and essentially they can decide what they want to do with it. They can steal it. They can use it for, you know, not, they can do normal things with it and not steal it. Uh, you have like, you know, you have exchanges such as Coinbase who are good actors and, you know, uh, fully regulated to the extent that it is possible um, to be regulated right now. And, you know, managing things correctly like a real business should, just like your bank would, for instance, but with crypto. 
Then what you have is another category called decentralization. So DeFi, decentralized finance. So basically what that means is um, through crypto, we have smart contracts that are essentially, um, you know, code on, on the blockchain that governs how something should work um, and how something will work. So these have been battle tested for, you know, 10 years now plus, and there's occasionally hacks and issues, but it's, it's, it's rare um, for the most part for the big protocols um, where you can, you can have systems set up where you can, we can do something, we can put our money into the chain and earn a yield on it and do swaps and things like that. And it's not happening through central, it's not going to a broker who's manually selling or buying things. This is happening through code. It's all decentralized and no one can change it or edit it, right? So it's safe in that sense where it's all governed through code. There's no chance of a SBF FTX situation where someone can just steal the money or, you know, buy a Lambo with it or, or um, you know, commingle it with with uh, something else. Um, so that's why DeFi and crypto is is uh, very popular amongst people that have trust, you know, that don't trust centralized entities right and it's a lot of people it's it's a growing number of people that have these issues and they're just like you know we're seeing banks blow up and go under and and you know we're don't forget in the u.s we have this fractional banking system in other countries too but where it means they don't have all your money so if we all go ask for our money at one time it's not there they've invested it they've done things with it they've they've bought things they might have a portion of it and maybe if you're lucky, the government would bail it out if everyone did a bank run and went and asked for their money at once. But, um, you know, in crypto, it's it's generally different. So it's, um, you know, in these in these smart contracts, there's no way to, you know, take out the money and do something else with it. It's, just, it's locked into there. That it's it's there. It's it's either there or it's not. So if you put it in there, it's there. Um, so. Uh, it eliminates the trust factor. You don't have to trust a human. You're you're trusting a lot. You're trusting um, thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, you know, of computers globally that are all connected, validating this blockchain, proving that you know you I've sent money to you, for instance. Um, you know, and I think I think I guess another easier way to think about it is you know this gets more into NFTs, but. People say like, oh, why is like an NFT valuable and who cares about that? Um, just as a paint, I think of digital artists. I think this is a really interesting use case that people don't realize is, is blockchain oriented. Um, digital artists for the longest time had a, I have a friend that's a digital artist um, and they had a problem. They create, you know, a regular artist in the real world draws a painting, you know, let's say it becomes the next Mona Lisa. It goes to the Louvre in Paris and they validate it and they say, yep, this is Rohit's um, you know, one of one painting and that's, that's, that's it. That's the main one. That's the real one. And they validate it. it's worth $10 million. Wow. Great. Um, so you've got a one of one painting that you drew it's worth $10 million. Um, in the digital world doesn't really, before blockchain didn't really happen. It, you could just save it. You could screenshot it. You could take a copy of it. Where's the one of one who cares, who knows? Um, but now with blockchains, um, we can validate through these blockchains, through consensus of lots of validators and, and uh, people on chain computers that this is your digital Mona Lisa, your one of one. And that's the one that has the value because it's proven on chain that this is the real one. Um, and this is just one of many use cases. Um, so essentially you're able to do what they can do offline, but in a proven validated way that anyone can go look up and look up on, on the blockchain scanners and say, this is your painting. 
or whatever whatever item you've created. You could do this with a house too. So you could say, this is another interesting use case. You can go um, and, you know, many countries are starting to do this and they're saying, you know what, why do we have physical papers that represent ownership of houses? What kind of old world, what are we in the 1800s? So now they can digitize it, but not only digitize it, but prove it in a, a decentralized, uh, fair way to show who actually owns it in a way that's not only proven on chain, but it's immutable. You can't edit it. So it's not, this is not like some, you know, Google document that I can just edit it and change it and save it again. This is completely validated by thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of computers all over the world. Um, so there's lots of really great use cases. Gaming is another category. One of the uh, projects we're incubating, uh, my BD Ventures company, is a video game. Um, and I, I was a gamer for a long time. I played a lot of games. And sometimes as a gamer in the traditional world, you know, the problem is that you play these games. It's fun. It's fun. You get that out of it. But you kind of feel you feel a little kind of screwed sometimes where you're like, I put all this time into this game, spent all this money on these Fortnite skins or World of Warcraft or whatever it is, Call of Duty, and you don't really own anything. They can decide one day that you're banned. We don't like you. You know, yeah. you lose your account, right? Or or just you stop playing and, well, I don't really have anything. It's But those players, because they've invested so much time into these games, they feel like their identity is that character. I am that character. I've, I've built this mage in World of Warcraft and spent 6,000 hours on it or whatever the number is. Um, but in the traditional world, that's it. You can't really do anything. You're not allowed to sell your account. You'll be banned. Um, but in the um, in the blockchain world, um, now we can have NFTs that are representative of our characters or our items in the game. And they can be taken in and out of the game. They can be sold on the marketplaces. Um, they can be traded. Um, and I can own that identity. Um, so we're seeing industries like gaming, which is one of the biggest industries in the world, um, bigger than music and film combined, um, by numbers of players in the, in the multiple billions. Um, and we're seeing lots of demand for this. We're seeing lots of demand to say, what? well, yeah, of course the in-game gold could be crypto, could be digital tokens. Makes sense, right? Why would it be centralized in some database somewhere? It's just you know, it makes a lot more sense to have to actually be able to touch it and move it around yourself um, in and out of the game. Same with the same with the items in the game. They can be represented by these NFTs, um, which, as we talked about before, were, you know, similar to the, the painting concept. You can prove on the chain which one is which and which one's more valuable, more rare, things like that. Um, so gaming is another really great category that we're seeing that is is massively benefiting um, a lot of my investments recently. So one of the things that I do is invest into uh, blockchain startups, essentially. Um, and a growingly, increasingly large number of the investments are games or related to gaming in some way. Um, and there's some really big gaming companies that are coming over from Web2 that have tens of millions of users, if not more, and building Web3, we call it games, um, which is basically blockchain oriented and crypto oriented games, um, that use the technology. Um, and yeah, you know, there was a bad media run for a while that, oh, nobody wants NFTs. And, you know, cause there's a lot of like, a, like any new industry, there's, there's scammers and bad actors, but over time that gets all weeded out and kind of the best kind of survive, just like the dot-com era, you know, 
you had lots of dinosaurs and projects that died off, but you also had Amazon <laughs> and Google, you know, and massive protocols that still today in 2024 um, still exist and are some of the biggest in the world. So I think my theory is that this industry has already got to its escape velocity and is so big that we're seeing now the ones that are going to last and survive and be some of the biggest companies in the world, I think replacing a lot of the web two giants eventually. Um, even even cloud computing and and um, AI, there's a lot of crossover with blockchain and and crypto um, that we're seeing more and more. And uh, definitely a demand for privacy and decentralization. We're even Apple is is doing a lot of there's a lot of privacy features now um, with Apple and um, yeah, the the demand is there. Uh, for it. So yeah, re really exciting to, to be seeing it from the inside out. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, uh, you, you make, you know, you know, a lot of interesting points, but, uh, but you know, BDE ventures were like called reblock ventures and it was like a venture studio where you were focused on and supporting, you know, blockchain and crypto and NFT products. And, um, and how's BDE ventures different? Uh, are you also looking into investing into startups and do you have like a, uh, like a portfolio yeah. construction of how much money you are going to invest and you know help these startups grow. Yeah, yeah. So BD Ventures is kind of nowadays it was it, it's more of my advisory firm and we also do investments. So in some incubation. Um, so we'll yeah we'll we've done a lot like even in the last two months probably done over fifty investments into um, well crypto blockchain startups, smaller check sizes. Um, it's not a traditional VC fund. It's just our own money. Um, I'm also involved in some separate VC funds that do traditional VC and crypto. Um, but yeah, you know, mainly what I'm looking for are people kind of pushing the envelope and innovating something um, in a category that has, you know, lots of users interested in it, like gaming, DeFi, um, you know, remittance, for instance, as we talked about some of those three um, are, are some of the simple ones that um, have a lot of, uh, just make a lot of sense. They're getting traction. Gaming is getting bigger and bigger. I think 2024, 2025 are going to be the years for Web3 gaming. So I'm betting big on that. Games take a while to build. So um, yeah, we were incubating a project and a video game in Web3 um, it's, it's built by some really major uh, game developers from Web2 that have come over and said, uh, you know, we, we've been building for, for traditional games for a long time. This is just, we can't miss this opportunity because, you know, what's going to, and my theory is that we saw this with chat GTP with, with AI. There's what yeah. I call the chat GTP effect. I think we're going to see the same with gaming where you're going to see one game come out that's using NFTs and crypto. It's a smash hit that gets 50 million players. Everyone goes, whoa, where did that come from? It's going to it's going to be a kind of a, in hindsight, it's going to be a duh kind of moment of, well, yeah, of course people want to own their own items and and be able to touch and, you know, move around their, their gold in the game as the crypto token etc right no one's saying no i want to give more money to blizzard it's, yeah i mean you know they want to play a game have fun and ownership is definitely important um in the identity side of it as well um so yeah i think what's going to happen is you're going to see a big smash hit game come out and all the studios already have their plans there are they're going to come back and they're going to say 
you know, I guarantee you Sony and, and uh, you know, uh, EA, Blizzard, all, all these all these places, they're having their meetings and they're if and when, when in my mind, um, you know, we see this big Web3 gaming push, they're going to all come back around. They're going to say, OK, activate the strategy. You know, um, they're 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 not sure. Maybe of them in look, some of them will become blockbuster in a Netflix world, right? And they'll become dinosaurs. That that'll definitely happen as well. But and, and that's kind of reminiscent of the whole blockchain crypto space. It's like, you know, you see it in the traditional finance world. Um, you see certain groups like, you know, JP Jamie Dimon uh, still hating on Bitcoin, but then you have others like BlackRock saying, "Yep, you know, we love it. It's the net, you know, it's the next thing. It's digital gold. We got to get behind this. Changing the world. Re world's reserve currency. You know, they're the Netflix. They're going to survive because they're smart and they're going to they figure it out. You know, love them or hate them, BlackRock. Um, they they're smart enough to realize that they got to get behind this, or they're going to completely miss out." And in 10, 20, 30 years, they'd be irrelevant otherwise and and missed a complete, completely missed. And it's funny because you always see this. It's like, you know, the biggest, the biggest um hater of Netflix was probably Blockbuster, right? We're seeing this now with the uh JP Di Jamie Diamond, that's JP Morgan. Um yeah. they you know, over the last 10 years just consistently hated on Bitcoin, right? Now, what's interesting is if you look at their entire all of their products, all of their all of the things they're investing in having people invest in, Bitcoin's performed better than all of them. <laughs> mm. yeah. So they were wrong. They right. were just wrong. You know, you, you you can't you can argue that there's energy consumption issues as proof of work or something with Bitcoin or whatever. Um, there's lots of energy consumption with traditional banking, let me tell you. Um, but uh, you can't argue that um, it hasn't outperformed all of their assets, all of their investments. So, right. um, and the whole traditional financial system by a by a landslide, you know, even if you cut the current prices in a quarter, it's still outperformed it all. So, you know, it's, it's funny cause you'll, you'll get people that'll try this gotcha thing and they'll say, Oh yeah. How's your crypto looking now? Huh? It's down 10%. And you're yeah. like, well, <laughs> if you bought 10 years ago <laughs> or if you bought two years ago, you know, it's, it's all long, you know, uh, the smartest people, obviously I think that it's, it's long-term thinking. Right. So, you know, yes, some pe if you're a really smart trader, you can make money in the short term on up or down movements, right? Um, but this, the people that I know that do the best, and there's again, there's some good traders out there, but it's easier to lose money trading. They have they're they're in this for the mid or the long term, and um, they're not knee jerk reacting on some bad headline. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I think 2023 was the year of uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT. Uh, and it's very interesting that you know OpenAI made around uh, around 1.3 billion dollars in revenue, but I also had you know Peter Livingstone from uh, uh, from Unpopular Ventures who said like uh, AI uh, business models would be more like uh, you know airplane companies, which would be like very useful but be very competitive in the next coming years. But where yeah. do you see, you know, AI companies going in 2024? And, and obviously, it's, it, I mean, you, you, a lot of VCs are investing a lot into into uh, into AI mm -hmm. companies. But what do you think about yeah. the business models and and how can you know blockchain and AI, uh, you know, uh, come together and work together? 
Yeah. So I think for AI, it's interesting. I think we're going to see innovation for sure. It's It seems to be slowing down a bit um, from what we were used to in the last year. Um, and I think we're going to get to a point where we have something drastically better than we have now. But I, my opinion is that we kind of cap off for a while. And I think people are, you know, I think in some people's minds, they're thinking, oh my God, we're going to be like replaced by computers in two years and by AIs in two years and just completely irrelevant and, you know, uh, lose our jobs. And look, I I still think people in many ways are necessary for a lot of different, many, many things. Right. So I don't think that's going away. Um, I just think it changes things, right. It's just, I think of my daughter growing up, um, you know, she's young. And when she gets into, you know, high school, for instance, in, in, you know, a number of years, um, she will, you know, have access to things like AI, most likely. So from a teaching perspective, you then know at that, at that point, they're going to know, okay, the, 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 everyone has access to AI. It's like trying to deny access to the internet. It's like, look, everyone's got a phone. Everyone's got a computer. If they want to look online at something, they can, you can't hide it from them. Can't stop them from using it, you know? Um, so just assume when they're taking their homework assignment, that they're going to use it. Right. So it makes the baseline. You, we have to make sure we don't make dumb, make people dumb, <laughs> um, where they're just so reliant on AI that they lose the basic skills. I think, you know, um, I, it's, it's still relevant, you know, it's still, you could, you know, I, I, in my generation, I guess was like, oh, we have access to calculators now on our phones. Like, why would I think about math? Um, but math comes in handy all the time. And sometimes you do have to make split second calculations and do it in your head. You still want that skill, right? Otherwise, I think we just, we make people, we, we then build people that are reliant on it completely. Um, so I think it's okay to embrace the fact that we know they're going to use it and we can make the challenges more difficult. But, um, I do think that it raises the baseline potential where people, you know, look, let's look at innovation and entrepreneurship or tech, for instance, I think the kinds of innovations we see could exponentially get better because they have access to this technology. What I mean is I can go use AI right now and code something. I don't know how to, I don't really, I, I know basics of coding, but I don't really code. Right. Yeah. Um, so I have a baseline knowledge, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a coder. Um, but with AI, I can do something pretty basic, pretty fast, um, without too much of a hassle. Um, so that potentially means I can prototype something that I wouldn't have been able to do. I would have had to hire a developer. Let's say I didn't have any money and I'm, and I just had access to some AI. Now I can go prototype something and test it out and see if it works and see if people want to use it and do something really quick without getting a bunch of people involved and needing to raise money, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it creates, um, I think the baseline of it, it basically democratizes access to an ability to create products and technology and entrepreneurship and innovate. So I think we're going to see more innovators and more, you know, where that ultimately goes, it goes into medical, it goes into other areas of life that could push the envelope. Maybe someone cures cancer. Who knows? You know, we don't yeah. know. Um, it, but it, the potential for that happening is getting better and better because we have this technology that can get us to, you know, equal with the best in the world quickly with the access to AI, right? Um, I can, in most categories, I can, through an AI, I can get, either get access to the information or even build something at a higher baseline than maybe I could otherwise in many different areas. Even in medical innovation, for instance, I'm not a doctor, 
I have a decent knowledge of, of medicine and the human body and, and things like that. But with AI, maybe I have some idea one day and I said, let me just AI around a little bit and see if uh, I can, you know, come up with something. And who knows, maybe someone like that. Yeah. Like I said, cures cancer or, or comes up with some crazy innovation that, you know, I, I think it's incredible in many ways. I don't, I don't see a lot of, I don't think there's as many downsides as people think. Um, I, I, I'm more in the category of this is positive. Um, yes. I think that, you know, maybe the, where the, I guess where the fear comes in is if it's used in the, you know, if, if the, if the wrong actors create some better AI supercomputers that are so much better than everyone else and they don't give anyone else access to it. Um, and they dominate everything, you know, the investing world, for instance, if you could create, if one, one group had an AI that could basically somehow analyze charts and algorithms, create algorithms better than everybody else by a landslide, and they just start making all the money, then that's kind of a problem, I guess. But I don't know that I see that happening either. So yeah, I think the pros drastically outweigh the cons. Um, I think with, with, uh, now here's interesting, this is an interesting thing. I think where blockchain could come in is keeping it fair, keeping it honest, open, open, you know, open sourcing in, in many ways and showing it all on chain is a good idea. I think that, I, I don't know technologically how it'd be done, but I think you could see blockchains governing AI usage in some capacity or AI in some fashion. I think we're going to need some level of whether it's self-regulation where we regulate ourselves by using this on blockchains or um, actual governmental regulations as much as they can or can't be enforced. I think something should be done to, you know, put some safeguards in place. So AI is not abused. Um, so that's where it could cross over into blockchain is we could show provably on chain in a fair way or through something like a blockchain it doesn't have to be a blockchain how the AI is being used, who's using it, et cetera. Um, some some tra uh, transparency to it, I think, is is not a bad idea. <laughs> got it, got it. Interesting. And, uh, you know, another interesting point you talked about was eSport gaming, right? Uh, I've seen yeah. the, the the number of viewers for, uh, you know, uh, for gaming has uh, is increasing far more than, you know, what, what you see in traditional sports. But but how do you, how do you see crypto... Um, being used uh, in in the gaming world where you know gamers can make money while while they while they play yeah. is that a model which can happen in the next couple of years yeah so we had a couple of years ago we had um they kind of called it the play to earn movement of crypto where there was games that you could play and earn money on and you saw you know many countries in asia for instance that really gravitated towards it and people were doing it as jobs people were making enough money to support their families and, and leave traditional jobs through, through video games with, with blockchain, um, still exists. Um, there was obvious, you know, there's economic, the economics, this is the thing with games, game economies are difficult. Um, economies in general, obviously difficult game economies, more difficult game economies with real money with crypto and blockchain, very difficult. Um, so, uh, we're seeing, we've seen attempts at doing this at scale. Um, Axie Infinity was one of the biggest um, games. Um, I think there was other Animoca brands uh, related games that were that were play to earn as well. Some did some did well, but it just showed us what was possible. It showed us that there is interest in this. It showed us that people do want to obviously play games. People do want to even do it as a job in some ways, farming items from the games, um, 
while other players might just want to play for fun, totally fine. Um, but the economies are very difficult, but there is a market for it. And there are, there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of people that are, you know, behind this and yeah, the gaming side, but uh, crypto and web three games are not only about making money. There's also just ownership identity and other aspects that are interesting to people as well. Um, I think with, with games, the tricky balance is that people play games for fun, escapism, things like that. So when you introduce money, it kind of takes you out of that reality. So if you're kind of like, well, I, uh, my life's a mess. I want to, I'm just going to play some games for now um, or whatever is going on. And it can be positive too. And you're just focused on the game for now. Um, you're kind of, it's just fun. It's entertainment, right? You're kind of, it's like you're watching your show or your movie or playing your game, right? Um, if you introduce real money into the equation, it takes people out of the reality because they go, oh yeah, I'm behind on my rent payment again. <laughs> I need more money. Um, it kind of takes them out of the reality. So it's a, it's a bit of a balance there with, with, you know, making it only about money. Um, but there is an interest in it for sure. And there's definitely ways to tie in education as well. Um, there's, there's a number of projects that are kind of border between game and education that are, that are also you know, for kids, for instance, there's, um, products out there that uh, teach them things um, and they can earn, you know, instead of earning like a, some useless point in some system, it can be crypto. Right. Um, so even if it's not like a huge amount of money that they're going to, you know, change their life per se, it's, 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 um, it's nice. It's, it's something, it's something more than, than just some, you know, internal system point that can only be used on one thing. It's like, if it's a crypto, you can trade it, you can do something else with it, swap it for, you know, stable coins or Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever you want. Um, and uh, it has more use cases in that sense. So yeah, there's there's a lot of gaming is a huge category that's very benefit very benefits greatly by uh, blockchain and crypto. The play to earn side of it as well is very interesting. I, I think we're seeing a lot of potential there. Um, it's just kind of, it takes time. Games take a long time to build. Economies are very difficult. Um, tying all that together is tricky, but yes, I do think someone will crack the code there. And I think we'll see another huge smash hit kind of web three play to earn, uh, video game, uh, several even, um, that are, that are focused more on making money, but then you're going to see others that just aren't focused on money as much yeah. that you can, you can own your NFT. You can, you can trade it. You can do stuff. You can make money, but it's not maybe the only focus, um, out there, but we've seen it in, in traditional games for years. It was just done on black markets. It was, you could go buy gold in your favorite game and pay money, pay real money for it. It just wasn't technically allowed. You had to kind of, you know, circumvent the, uh, the systems. Um, so people have wanted to do that for years. So now it's just more, Hey, let's just embrace it. People want to spend real money in these games. How do you, you know, the, the, the biggest mobile app games you can think of, they charge you for everything, right? Uh, more levels, more of this, more of that, um, pay, pay, pay. Um, so people are, you know, buy skins, buy guns, buy whatever. People are used to paying. Um, it's this just this just uh, keeps it honest and says, all right, well, here's what you get. You get your gun. You, it's an NFT. You can you can take it out of the game. You can sell it. You can keep it. Whatever you want to do with it. So, yeah, I think it's a very very good thing. But and you you talked about NFTs. You know, I've seen um, companies like Nike, uh, uh, you know, investing into into uh, NFT brands, but. But when do you see, you know, fashion brands and other global brands 
uh, begin to you know embrace more more NFTs into into their portfolio? Yeah, we definitely saw it with fashion. Um, we saw this kind of era of yeah, like the Nikes of the world. I think Gucci and Adidas. Um, a lot of the a lot of the big designers did it. Um, and they had digital items that were digital clothing or, you know, metaverses, get into metaverses where the item could be digital or physical. You could redeem it maybe for a physical item if you wanted to, or maybe it's just used it virtually. Um, so that's a big, that's a big category as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, there's kind of the two sides of it with digital and physical, um, as metaverses get more popular and really, you know, I think metaverse is kind of a big term that people are, you know, it's kind of, they think of Facebook and, and other, other, uh, kind of, you know, uh, traditional companies that have, that have got on board with that, but there's a lot of smaller use cases for that too. Even games in many ways, in many ways are kind of like metaverses. Like if you think of like a world of Warcraft that has its own world, um, that you can kind of interact and move around in these games and these metaverses can kind of cross over a lot. Um, you know, I think people are wondering, oh, do we enter some era where we're all wearing our headsets and we don't, don't leave the house and we all become 8,000 pounds and, you know, <laughs> um, forget about the real world. I don't know if I see that happening. Um, I think it's more just, uh, for fun and, you know, alternative experiences instead of just staring at a screen, you just, it's 3d, right. Um, instead of look, us looking at each other on flat screens, we can maybe it feels like we're in the same room if we're across the world from each other. Right. So I think those are the benefits and I, there's technology out there that's, that's coming around. That's, um, allowing us to do that. And I think that would be really cool. I think, um, you know, things that bring, bring people closer together, just the meetings, for instance, I, I do a lot of meetings, for instance, um, you know, uh, pitching, uh, or, or, uh, being pitched for different reasons. If I'm investing, for instance, um, and it would be cool if you could like, if it feels like we're actually sitting in a coffee shop across from each other, instead of just a flat screen. Right. I think that's more, uh, you feel it's more personable. You feel more connected, things like that. It feels more like real life. Um, and brings people closer that, that are across the way. We have family in uh, Australia and it's, uh, it'd be nice to have a 3d interaction with them without having to go to Australia. Um, so yeah. Um, I think that those are, those are great things and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, you know, that the physical technology has to catch up as well. We're seeing, uh, you know, it's great that they're doing these Apple and whatnot, but people were, were making fun of the Apple headsets saying you need to do like neck exercises before you wear, wear it because it's so big and heavy, <laughs> uh, which is probably true. I don't have one, um, but maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Um, but if they could be very slim, you know, right. I think that I would use it if I could just slap, like I have some uh, blue light gla blocking glasses yeah, sure. that are very light. And, you know, I wear those sometimes. And if I could wear something that small, it's that I kind of forget about. Oh, then, then we're talking. Then it's going to be something massive, massive. Everyone's going to want one. Uh, I think when it's too big and clunky. Also, I think the other issue is that I haven't seen solved yet. Again, I haven't used the new Apple uh, products, but um, the problem that I've seen is you get a little dizzy um, with some of the current ones, where at least I do. So um, it's kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? This is a little dizzy. You know, if you if you're prone to like motion sickness, um, it's it's definitely not there yet. Um, but if they can solve that and make them slimmer, then I think we're, we're for sure going to, 
most things are going to start turning 3D and we're going to say, why would you do a Zoom with someone in a, in a 2D environment? Just put on your put on your headset, you know, and, and you know, we'll meet in the virtual cafe. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think it's pretty cool. I think it would definitely, you know, uh, be something quite interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think a lot of interesting things are going to happen in the AI, crypto, and and in the NFT space. But uh, you know, as as I mentioned um, at, at the start of uh, uh, of a discussion, uh, you know, you got a huge following on on Twitter. You got one point three million followers. Um, I, I'm I'm very impressed by this. Uh, but any any tips for listeners who want to grow their following on 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 Twitter and LinkedIn? Uh, uh, you know, uh, what what advice you would give to them? Yeah. So I started on Twitter in 2009. <laughs> it's 2024. Nice. So I wish I could do it. I wish I could say I did that overnight, but that was not overnight. That was, you know, many, many years of, of grinding and, you know, getting 40,000, 50,000 a year over a very long period of time kind of thing, you know, maybe a little bit more in some years. Um, so I think consistent as much as it's a boring thing to say, consistency is massively important. Um, and finding others to collaborate with is something very commonly overlooked. You know, your, your network is very important. So I think that, and I, the other thing is some people fail to, you know, uh, you're good at it and, and many others are, but a lot of people fail to just reach out to people that they would want to collaborate with and, and connect with them or respond to them or, you know, be open to it. Right. right. Um, I think a lot of people write themselves off and they say, no, I can't reach out to, Gary V or Brian or Rohit or whoever, right? They they just uh they have a fear. It's like a you know, it's a it's a um they don't think they're worthy in some fashion, right? But what I've noticed from early on and even before I had a big following and successful companies and things like that, um, was just take a chance on, you know, reaching out to people and trying to connect. And yeah, you get rejected and some people don't respond and it's fine. That's fine. Not now, not not the right person, whatever. Um, but it's people do respond, you know, and, and it doesn't, you don't have to target the people with the biggest followings, target the people with the same followings that you have. Nice. Another thing people fail to realize is the people that have 500 followers now, they can be the next person with 10 million followers. So, um, those people are going to come up too. Um, and so just find the people that are doing cool things and, and doing something really interesting that catches, catches your eye. Cause it's probably catching other people's eye and it, many of those people will become the next social media star or, you know, influential person, right? So don't only target the people at the top of the mountain, so to speak, target others that are making the journey. Um, and that's what I did a lot early on was just tried to, you know, uh, you know, you also want to, as much as you can reach out to the influential people and, and see if you can work with them or add value to them in some way. Um, but also find others that are in the similar boat as you, um, and work with them too. And they're going to blow up one day and you're going to blow up one day, hopefully. And, uh, you know, you want to have those people alongside you as well. And I, I think that's one of the biggest ones. I think that I see people overlooking is they, they forget that, you know, those people are going to come into power too and become big stars and things over time. And if you have stuck with them for, for the longest time when they were building themselves up as well, you're going to have friends for life and you're going to have other influential people around you. You have real relationships with it, you know, where you were there with and they were there with you from the start. So I think that's very powerful and just, yeah, I've always focused on my network. I think that's, it's, uh, it's not so much tactics of like, Oh, the do this or the tactics come and go of how to grow a following. 
I think it's really comes down to the network of people you surround yourself with. And, you know, um, it's also as much as finding people to work with and be around you, find people, you know, it, 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 you also have to think of the other side of it. If like, when you do come across those toxic people, even if they seem to have some value, like they've got a big following, but they're really toxic or they're, you know, something about them is just not sitting right with you. Cut those people out as fast as you can. Cause it's just never worth it. Um, and find the ones that just that you resonate with and that you see eye to eye with on things. Um, and you'll be less stressed and probably more successful, um, than trying to just work with people that you hate. Um, and I, I see that way too often. I see people saying, Oh, I've connected with so-and-so, but it's kind of a nightmare. And it's like, well, why are you doing it? You know, just because it's, it's, uh, there's plenty of other people to collaborate with. Um, and, and I think the collaboration is big. We're, we're, we see it a lot in the crypto world. Some of the best projects out there are very open to working with other projects. You never see this in the, in the traditional web two world. You don't see like, Hey, like Instagram and LinkedIn new partnership. Like they're never going to work with each other. They're, they're, uh, competitors, right. Um, in a sense, even though it's slightly different category. Um, but in crypto, they would already be partnered and they'd be working together because um, that's how it is. It's very collaborative and it's like us against the rest of the world. So they people just naturally have that collaborative approach. There's no true competition. I've seen projects that do literally the exact same thing, partner, and both got bigger because they partnered. Um, so if you think about that and apply that to things like social media, that, that can work as well. You have someone in your exact, you're a magician, you have another magician. Um, that's in the exact same category and you're trying to build a following. It's like, we'll collaborate and work together. You both have magician followings. You're not going to have the exact same following. Um, duh, you should collaborate. But a lot of people see that as, no, no, they're too competitive. I need to work with a skateboarder. And it's like, well, that's the, you know, sure, maybe you can get an audience from there too, but um, I, I wouldn't be shy to try many different things in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think this, this, is, this is great advice. Uh, I would need to, you know, uh, re-listen to what you said, and and hopefully you know <laughs> uh, use some of the strategies so that I, I could I could reach through those levels. Um, but but I I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? My I think classically it was Thinking Grow Rich, um, Napoleon Hill. Um, the uh, one of the books that just always has stuck with me, um, even though it's not the point of the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss. It's just something about efficiency and productivity has always stuck with me, even though I have never worked a four-hour work week. <laughs> um, it's always been 96,000-hour you know, work weeks, <laughs> um, uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, but um, it's always just stuck with me of finding, even if it's little ways to, to increase productivity, not to get obsessed with it. Um, I've always just found that that really stuck with me, aspects of it um, about being productive and you know, trying to block off my time and in, in effective ways and batch tasks together. That that's always just something that I found very practical uh, that's worked for me. Uh, absolutely, show notes. And you know, if you could go back to time when you started um, in you know tech startups and started investing, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done thing differently? So um, I think that early on, I when I was trying to start companies, I wouldn't start unless I had raised money and I let that become a roadblock for myself. And I said, okay, well, here's a really great idea. Let me go see if I can raise money. Um, and I think a lot of people get stuck in, and this was something I just did early on, but 
um, get stuck in this trap of like, that was the validator. And let me tell you, like investors are not always right, first of all. So yeah. you're kind of, you're validating in the wrong way. It's especially with things like AI. Now you could build a lot of, lot of things without much knowledge. Um, so, or find a partner that can help you code something or build something or do some design of the prototype and see if people like the way it looks. It, there's many ways to, to test the markets that don't involve going to investors. Um, not to say you don't want to raise money. I think raising money is fine. I'm not, not, uh, um, you know, on that, but, um, don't let that be the roadblock because I've seen so many times where investors were either wrong or just didn't act on things that became huge, 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 huge. Um, yeah, it, it even happened in the, in the AI space. I know a company that, that built something or tried to build something very close to chat GTP, um, but just couldn't raise the money. So they said, eh, I guess it wasn't right. Boom, chat GTP hits. Granted, that's a very unique situation because chat GTP spent billions to collect all the data and everything like that. But that's a good example of like, you know, there's going to be times where you have something and you have a really good idea or product or whatever, and you can't raise money for reasons uncorrelated to your product or idea. This maybe the investors are having a bad, you know, you just reached the wrong investors at the wrong time. Let me tell you, some of these VCs have very strict, narrow mandates of what they invest into. So if you find a crypto VC and you bring them the best, you know, uh, you know, physical uh, cell phone technology in the world, they're going to say no because they invest in crypto, right? Mm -hmm. Flip flop that around too. If you find a technology cell phone investor and you pitch them a crypto idea, they're going to say no, and you could have the best thing ever. So you can't really, you know, and people just have their preferences. So I wouldn't leave that as your reason to do something or not do something. Hmm. Right. And, and, and what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? I like Telegram a lot. Discord, Telegram is probably my number one now. It's um in the crypto world, it's kind of just the de facto uh, yeah. standard of of communication. So I do use that a lot. Um, I would say another mandatory thing. I don't, I'm not going to say which one I use, but their password managers are really convenient and important. I think if anyone's not using a password manager at this point, you should just have one crazy master password that is impossible to guess or hack. And then everything else is done through the password manager. Use your two factors to be secure. I, I think security is super important. So you got to have, you got to basically have passwords you don't know, and then also use two factor. So it's impossible to uh, both guess your password and hack you because even even in in many industries, it's just still a problem. You just still have people saying, "Oh, my my password is my dog's name one two seven. It's like, okay, come on now. <laughs> That's why you're hacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. And Brian, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more about BD Ventures? I think just follow me on Twitter, X, um, Brian D. Evans on there, and that's probably the easiest way to uh, stay in touch and, and see what I'm doing. So absolutely. We'll put that in the show notes, Brian. Thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.